The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. I'm Anthony Skinner, producer of the show, and we are happy to have you here this week, and you are in for a treat. Today's guest is Michael Hyatt. Michael is a good friend of Typologies, and he is the founder and CEO of Michael Hyatt & Company, a leadership coaching and development firm twice listed on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing U.S. companies. A longtime publishing executive, Michael is the former chairman and CEO of Thomas Nelson, now a part of HarperCollins. He is a New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today best-selling author of several books, including Your Best Year Ever, Living Forward, Platform, and Free to Focus. Michael is the creator of the Full Focus Planner, which is an amazing quarterly goal tracking and daily productivity system. His blog and weekly podcast, Lead to Win, are go-to resources for hundreds of thousands of entrepreneurs, executives, and aspiring leaders, and he has been featured by Forbes, Inc., Entrepreneur, Fast Company, and Wall Street Journal. All that to say, you are in for a treat today. Hey, don't forget to follow us on social media. You can follow Ian at Ian Morgan Cron. That's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can also follow us at Typology Podcast. That's at T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as well. Also, if you like the show, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show as well. So, hey, that's it for me, Anthony Skinner. And now, here's the host of our show, Ian Cron. Michael Hyatt, welcome to Typology. Thank you, Ian. Always great to be with you. It is, isn't it? It is. Because <laughs> uh, you're special. <laughs> and unique. And unique. And Man. nobody's like you in the world. <laughs> Man, I, I went over to the factory yesterday to get to go to Honest Coffee, and I looked down the hallway into that big, beautiful theater of theirs, and I see this big lit up sign with free to focus on it. This, no, the focus leader. The focus but you're leader. Close. Well, I just saw the word focus and I just, I knew who it was. So I went down the hallway and went in and you're having your free to focus, the focus leader conference. Yes. Holy smokes. What an event. It was so fun. It was the first time we've ever done it. We basically combined best year ever live and free to focus live. And we put it into a one day event. We filmed the whole thing too. Right. Uh, because we're going to do an online course, a master class. but it's the first time we did it. But the biggest objection we had to our other events and we had have had thousands of people go through those events is it was three days out of your week. Right. And so now we've got a one day, sort of the creme de la creme of, of both conferences. Right. And you know, you get 80% of the transformation in one day. Right. So we think it was a win. Sure. Well, I mean, the place was buzzing. It was hopping. It was all things good. Now you have a, you do have a, you have a brand new book out free to focus. 
a total productivity system to achieve more by doing less. I cannot imagine a three on the Enneagram. I mean, seriously, like talk about sweet spot material here. This stuff isn't like in the warp and woof of your being. It really is. I mean, uh, of course, I haven't always understood that I was an Enneagram three. Right. But this is really where I've lived for my entire life. I'm 63 years old, and and this has really been mm. what I've done for years and years and years. I mean, what a selling point in a way for the Enneagram, right? It's like it really describes not just, you know, um, preferences and traits. It's like, no, it gets down to, like, what's really in there. Like, you're just yeah. doing what you are. What What drives me, what motivates me. Yeah, all of that fits in here. But I think, thankfully, some life experience and some knowledge of the Enneagram has given me this self-awareness to know that productivity is not the end. It's a means to an end. All right. Well, tell me more about that. Okay. So in chapter one of the book, uh, first of all, the first section of the book is called Stop, which is very surprising for a lot of people that are into productivity because they want to go. Right. And so the thought of stopping and reflecting is counterintuitive. But in chapter one, I talk about formulating a productivity vision because I think the default for most people that are into productivity is they want to do more. Why? So they can do more, right? right? So yeah, they're on yeah, this yeah, hamster yeah. wheel mm-hmm. that's just go, 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 go. Right. So even if they shave four hours off their day, they fill it right back up with work. They can't stop. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like a shark that has to keep swimming to keep breathing. Mm-hmm. And so what I say in that chapter is I don't think – Productivity is an end in itself. I think it's got to be a means to an end. And from my perspective, Mm. the end game is freedom. If productivity doesn't lead to greater freedom, Mm. then it's not really the kind of productivity that I want to be a part of. And I talk about four specific kinds of freedom. So first of all, I want the freedom to focus, not just do more stuff, but focus on the, Mm. the stuff that really matters, that drives the biggest and best results in my business or you know, is a, where I'm able to focus on, on the people that I love the most. So the freedom to focus. Second freedom is just uh, the freedom to be fully present. Mm-hmm. And I, I see so many people because of smartphone culture, you know, that are, that are out to dinner with their spouse and they're really somewhere else. Their head's in their phone. They're somewhere else other than where they are. Or, you know, the, the dad or the mom that's at a soccer game for their kids and they're dealing with work emails and stuff on their phone. They're not, they're not present where they are. And that's the problem I have with, with phones in general. We can come back to that. But I think the freedom to be present, you know, if I could be productive so that I could really be present and truly in this meeting that I'm having or this interview that I'm doing with you, you know, it's really valuable. Then third, the freedom to be spontaneous. Mm. I don't want my life so programmed and so over-programmed that I can't stop what I'm doing to have coffee with a friend or stop what I'm doing to, to um, visit with the grandkids when they drop by the house. You know, with that kind of right. margin that kind of white space in my life to be able to do that. And then finally, and this is my favorite of all, the freedom to do absolutely nothing. Now, I learned this in Italy because they have have a saying called uh, la dolce far niente, which means the sweetness of doing nothing. Mm. And the Italians are great at it. I mean, they've they've elevated this to an art form. So, you know, about five o'clock at night, six o'clock at night, everybody pours out into the, um, you know, the central spaces in the cities and just visit with one another you know, have a drink, just talk, basically do nothing. And and so I that's the kind of freedom that I'm after with productivity. If the productivity doesn't lead, lead to that, if it just leads to more busyness, I'm not interested. Mm. Wow. So uh, freedom to do nothing, freedom to be spontaneous, freedom to be present. First one was freedom to focus and freedom to focus. 
Wow. Okay. Now, um, I'm assuming those were life lessons you learned. You're 63, as you just mentioned, right? Right. So is this was this book born out of reflection on, you know, a lifetime of being a three? And was there a time in your life when you were not free? To Definitely. Do nothing, to be present, to be spontaneous. Definitely. I will right, talk about the pain years. Okay. So 20 years ago, I, a little, little over 20 years ago, I, I went to Thomas Nelson as a manager of one of the divisions. And the division that I was managing, I'd been there for about 18 months when my boss retired and I, I took over that division. Out of 14 divisions, we were dead last in terms of almost every financial metric you could mention. Profitability, return on assets, everything. And so um, my boss, the CEO, said, how long is this going to take you to turn it around? And I said, well, probably about three years. And I was completely guessing. I had no idea. Well, the truth is we turned it around in 18 months. We went from number 14 to number one, but at some significant cost to my life. Mm -hmm. Because I was working almost every weekend. I would come home, refuel and get right back on my laptop and keep working through the evenings. I had zero margin. I ended up in the emergency room three different times thinking I was having a heart attack. Oh my gosh. And thankfully I didn't. But the third time the guy said to me, the, the guy that was the doctor of the emergency room said, I think you need to see a cardiologist and kind of get this put to rest. Mm -hmm. And so I saw the cardiologist. He ran me through a nuclear stress test. And he said to me, he said, look, your heart's fine. But he said, what is going on in your life? Wow. And I told him about the stress I was under and I wasn't exercising. I wasn't uh, paying attention to nutrition or what I was putting in my mouth. And he said, here's the deal. If you don't figure this out, he said, you're going to end up in the ER again. But I'm not sure I can help you next time. Hmm. And so that was a huge wake-up call. Right. So I hired an executive coach, Daniel Harkavy, with whom I wrote the book Living Forward, right. all about life planning. And, and Daniel basically helped me to find balance again and helped me to, to realize that, you know what, there's more to life than work. Mm. There's all these other categories, these accounts, these domains of life. Right. And so I started giving serious attention to my family, to self-care, to some of these other things. Right. And it did, certainly didn't happen overnight. It was a journey. Okay, so for those who are new to the Enneagram, um, threes, the performers, these are folks uh, who are success oriented, image conscious, uh, wired for productivity, right? Yep. This is in your, this is like in the genetic thing. It, it is. It's in the code, You right? can see it with the right kind of microscope. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and you're motivated by a, uh, a need to be or to appear to be successful and to avoid failure. I'm talking about threes yes. in general, right? Yes. That's the unconscious motivation uh, uh, for threes. So as you, um, look back over the landscape of your life, is there a moment as you think back where, where you just say, this is ground zero. Mm -hmm. This is where that unconscious belief began that motivation, you know, that, yeah. that belief under the waterline that got me going on this track. Yeah. I can tell you exactly when it happened. All right. Uh, I was 18 years old. I was a senior in high school. And um, my dad had a serious drinking problem. And he was uh, a Marine mm -hmm. and had been injured in the Korean War. And his he did his best. I mean, he came, he came back uh, to the States when there was no understanding of, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. 
There was no treatment for it. You know, guys get just got by, by the best they did, and a lot of them medicated. And so the most easily available medication was liquor. Right. And so he did pretty well for a while, you know, moderate drinking. But then by the time I got into junior high and high school, he was kind of falling down drunk. Yeah. And so I came home with my sister from a party, and some friends dropped us off at the house. And as we looked toward the front door of the house, we saw on the sidewalk between us and the front door, my dad. It was dimly lit. It was late at night, and but we knew what it was. You know, our dad had passed out mm. on the sidewalk. Right. And so we went and picked him up, and our friends were watching, and they started laughing, oh, you know. Wow. And so we're picking up my dad, and he's just stumbling in. Come on, Dad, you got to get in the house. Mm. We oh. put him down on the sofa, and he falls asleep immediately, snoring. And my sister bursts into tears, yeah. you know, and she runs into the other room. And I, I stood in the mm. shadows and looked at my dad, and I made this uh, vow. And I said, I will never be like that. Mm. And that vow became really the part of the iceberg that you can't see that drove mm. all the behavior. And so I, I really became driven at that point. I, I didn't know that there was another alternative. It wasn't a conscious choice. But that became really, really shaped everything that I did from that point forward. And it, and it took, frankly, some um, strategic failures for me to kind of wake up and some therapy to wake up and smell the coffee and, and have the self-awareness of what was driving this behavior. Because mm. for a while there, and I don't know if this happens to a lot of threes, but, but for a while there, it's like, why am I so driven? You know, to the point of uh, really unhealthy. Yeah. You know, unhealthy for myself, unhealthy for my family. Why can't I turn it off? And I think it, I was trying to outrun that fear that I was going to become like my dad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, it, it was helpful to have some failure and kind of go back to, to rock bottom. I, I went through a, um, it, I'm, I'm hesitating because it wasn't really a bankruptcy because we didn't have enough assets to go bankrupt. <laughs> we were yeah. so broke. Right. <laughs> There's a level of broke of brokenness that, that where you can't go bankrupt because you don't have any assets to divide up right. with your creditors. But in 1992, I had a uh, business, a publishing company that went broke and Literally, we were my partner and I were sitting uh, on the floor of an office like this, but all our furniture had been hauled away by, you know, repossessed, and we were just sitting there crying and thinking, "What happened?" You know, and so those were things that helped me realize, even in the middle of that situation, my family was still there. Right. You know, at that point, I was still very healthy. My church showed up for me in a big way. You know, they were bringing groceries to us. But it was really humbling. Mm. You know, I think the biggest fear that I have as a, as a three, even to this day, is public embarrassment. Yes. And that was like not just public embarrassment, but that was public humiliation. Right. So I have a, my AA sponsor who I call Sensei. We talk every day. <laughs> he is amazing. He is amazing. He is the AA Sensei. And um, I had a something happen the other day. And whenever – Alcoholics in the big book, it says, become irritable, restless, and discontent. You know, any of those things, it's like, get on the phone, call your sponsor. Mm. You know what I mean? And talk it out. 
and I, I it's just something came up. It was a business thing, and I just you know what is, you know what zoomies are. You've got a dog, Winston, right? Like zoomies are when a dog starts running crazily in circles oh around gosh. the house and they can't yeah. stop. Yeah, it's like right. So I have like I call, I call it the, <laughs> I call it the mental zoomies. Like like I got a, a dog running around inside my head, making a movie, screaming. It's on fire. You know, you know like yeah. I, I got this thing going on. And I, I, I called him up, and I, it, was a, it was a relational problem with somebody. And he just, he's very, very calm, very, very, you know, uh, Arkansas accent. He just says to me, well, what would you do if you weren't afraid? Mm-hmm. You know, cause I had to make a choice. And he just looked, just said very calmly, what would you do if you weren't afraid? Love that question. Is that an amazing question? Yeah, that's a great question. And I said, well, I think I'd do that. And then he paused, and he goes, well, well, I think you got your answer then. <laughs> Call me back in two hours after you do it. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. And I thought, you know, so, I mean, threes, you know, uh, you're, you're not in the, um, you know, the fear triad. But there is, you know, we all have basic fears. Sure. Public humiliation would be the one. But maybe just in a more global sense as a three, speaking through the lens of the Enneagram, as you look out over your life, what would you do in life? Right now, as you think about your life, what would you do if you weren't afraid? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think about a place in my life, you know, may, maybe age helps this some, where I'm more fearless and I'm pushing the envelope constantly. Mm. And I think one of the things that happens to entrepreneurs, I don't know about threes, but I, I learned this actually from my coach, Dan Sullivan. He said, you know, entrepreneurs are successful have such a fear of failure that once they, they take risks and they become successful, and then they try to build a life free from risk. Mm. And so they stop taking risk. Right. And the truth is you start sliding backwards when that happens. Right. So knowing that, I'm constantly pushing myself into greater levels of, of risk, both personally and right. in terms of my company and, right. and so forth. So, yeah, so I don't know that I would do anything different. Okay, so let's, let's lean into this a little bit. All right. What does this feel like therapy? That's, <laughs> yeah. Put your seatbelt on. Here we go. Um, so in your personal life, mm-hmm. what would you be doing or what would you do or what are you thinking of that if you weren't afraid? I feel like I should have a really profound answer to that question. But but part of it is I'm I'm really doing what I love. Mm-hmm. And I and I think because it doesn't mean it's easy. Right. But I don't know that I'd be doing anything different. Okay. All right. I was thinking about, I only say this because my sponsor has pushed me on this question, yeah. right? And um, things come up for me like, I would go to so-and-so and finally apologize. Ah. Or I would tell this person I love them. Hmm. Or uh, I would pick up the phone and reconnect with a person. You know what I mean? Like, like, yeah. And I've just begun to write things down like that. Like, well, what would I do if I wasn't afraid? Yeah, it's a good exercise. You know, in your personal life, just an inventory of what, what are some of the things that you would do? Yeah. You know? And I think it's a really healthy mm-hmm. thing that, because we all have things that we're avoiding on that level, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that if, if we come up with that list and we come up with those things, then, then we need to lean into those and do those things. Right. I mean, I think if we have the awareness or the revelation that that's something that needs attention right we need to do it and you know by the way i think um as you were mentioning earlier you know if we don't organize our lives in such a way that that there are margins for that level of reflection yes Mm -hmm. 
times of reflection to breathe to breathe and ask questions like well, what would i do today if i wasn't afraid yeah you know of x if i wasn't afraid of being publicly humiliated what would i do mm -hmm. today if i wasn't you know uh as a four you know afraid of not being special and unique i'm, I'm just you know riffing here but again yeah. i think these are the kinds of questions you don't we don't stop to ask if we're on constant go you know? It's so true. And that's why I think that freedom issue is so right. important. Right. This is also one of the things I talk about in the book is the power of constraint. Right. And for example, and I'm get real practical here, but when you put constraints on your work time, right. it forces greater productivity. So right. for example, for me, I don't start work till nine o'clock in the morning and I end promptly at 6 p.m. In fact, I have automated lighting in my office. You've been in it. Yeah. It turns off at six. So I'm standing in the dark if I keep working. Right. Well, what that does is it for, forces greater productivity but for those eight hours between nine and six, including an hour off with a nap. And that forces me to be productive. And the premise of the book is to achieve more by doing less. So just to give you an example of how that works out, how it looks in one man's life, and, and again, I didn't get here overnight, but our business grew 62% last year. But I took 160 days off last year. That includes every weekend, and 11 full weeks of vacation, including a month-long sabbatical. So it gives me the white space, the margin, right. to be reflective. Right. Like one of the things I started doing back in 2011 at, at my wife Gail's urging was to start journaling. Mm. And so, as you know, one of the issues that Enneagram 3s have is being in touch with their feelings. In fact, when I took your IEQ9 test, right. which I love, by the way, thank you so much for getting me on to that. Yes, thank you. And I bought the pro version. Yes, you did. Of thank course, because I'm going to leave nothing on the table. <laughs> so I bought that. And one of the things that it said was that, you know, my, I can't remember what it calls this, but like you're thinking and you're doing and you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, and, on your centers. Yeah, so I was low on feeling. Right. Probably no surprise. A lot of Enneagram 3s, I'm sure, suffer from this. But journaling has helped me get in touch with that because I go through these eight questions that they have a product called the Full Focus Journal, right. which is a journaling product. Which is that, great. I have it. Yeah, it's, I, I think it's great too, but, but it's just what I do, it's, which is answer these eight questions every day. And one of them, which sounds so maybe silly if you're not an Enneagram 3, but how am I feeling today? Yeah. If I don't check in with myself, yep. and this, this is going to make you laugh, but I literally have open on my web browser a tab that has a feelings wheel. Right. Sure. Because I have to find my feelings on there. Yeah. Because I'm kind of like, I, I don't know what I, I feel pretty good. And and one of the things I have as, as, as an Enneagram 3 is this superpower that's stamina. Right. Right. So mm -hmm. I can suppress all these uncomfortable feelings. And I'm happy to just to slap a big fat label on it and just say, oh, I feel fine. Right. Because those messy feelings get in the way and they keep me from progress and keep me from being productive. Right. But journaling and being self-reflective right. and just asking that question has really helped me to sort of parse out the nuances of how I feel on any given day. And right. it turns out I don't always feel great. Right. And what do you do then? Now, now that you know that, like what, what do you do then? Because a lot of times what happens with threes is they got the best poker face in town. Yeah. Like seriously, it could be the meltdown of 2008 on Wall Street. You know, they could be the head of Lehman Brothers, you know, on the worst day right. ever. And they walk out the door looking confident and whistling, you know what I mean? Because they don't want to, you know, 
let anybody else know what's going on in terms of what's happening internally. So, how, how, well, that's it? part of it. But the other part of it is, is I got stuff to do and I don't mm. have time for these feelings and to get them all resolved. Right. So I, I, I think actually uh, self-awareness is half the battle. It's not the full battle, but self-awareness is certainly half the battle. Right. And just to know that I don't have to always feel great and it's okay. That's what I mean. Mm. Yeah. So it's okay. It's okay. To not be on top of the world. Totally. A lot of That's threes. So I mean, I meet threes all the time, and the message. That it's not okay. It is not okay yeah. to not be on top of the yeah. world and to have your game on. Yeah. yeah. And and make it and to win without looking like it cost you anything. And right. I love, I love that you have something present there to name the feeling as well. That's powerful. <laughs> it is powerful because. Yeah. It 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 what it does is it, it's a it's a great marker of self awareness. Mm-hmm. It's to say, look, this is not my gift, right? So I'm not going to pretend. I got a I got a feeling wheel here. <laughs> Right. Oh, I know what this is called. This is a nuanced feeling. It's sad. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, we're, you totally, got two fours right? in the room. I got 800 words for sad. I, I wished I had, that's like, like Eskimo's you know, terms for snow or whatever. Yeah. But I, I wish I had uh, that in front of me, and I wish I could remember the URL. Maybe I can shoot it to you guys and you can put it in the show notes or whatever. But it starts with the basic feelings in the center. Mm-hmm. Yep. And like sadness, and then it breaks it out, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. into all these different nuances, and then it even breaks those out. Like there's about three different levels. I love that. So it's oh cool. Oh my gosh. So I start with the basic one, and then I move out. <laughs> and it kind of surprises me. Really? See, I know you'd laugh. No, I'm not. I'm laughing. You publicly it's humiliated me. No, it's delight. <laughs> it's not. It's not mocking laughter. See, no, I, I even know shades of laughter. <laughs> he feels. He feels less alone with right. you right now. Oh, well, perfect. That's actually. What it is. <laughs> I'm going back to the envy thing right now about the whole 160 days off last year. Well, seriously, <laughs> Since you, like, you just played into my poor envy right then. I was like, okay, we're getting back on the feelings. <laughs> okay, perfect. But, but see, here's how that works, and this is why this is important. If you're going to have unlimited time to work, it doesn't force you to choose the things that are the highest leverage activities, and therefore. You're not going to grow. Your business isn't going to grow. You're not going to be able to take as much time off. Because I, like when I plan the year out, like we're already planning 2020. So we're already putting the big rocks in, which for me starts with rejuvenation. So where's my sabbatical going to be in 2020? Where are my vacations going to be? Everything has to fit around that because those are the constraints in my schedule. Because I know that stuff is more important than anything else. That makes me productive. You know, I, I, I just show in the book, a lot of research shows that after about 45 hours of, of work, you start going backwards in terms of productivity. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And there was a, there's a study I quote in the book uh, that was done over some, with some investment bankers over 12 years. And these were guys that were re- routinely working 60 to 120 hours a week, mm-hmm. if you can imagine. Their employers were providing round-the-clock administrative help, food, laundry services, and all that. And as you can imagine, at first they were highly productive. But then they started experiencing some debilitating health mm. effects. Mm. You know, chronic illnesses, back pain, autoimmune issues, rashes, all kinds of stuff. But worse, some psychological disorders like diminished judgment, uh, questionable ethical decisions. Mm. I mean, you can see why sure. what happened in Wall Street in 2008, 2009 happened. Mm. These guys, I mean, you could make an argument legitimately, they were working too much. They weren't taking time to rejuvenate. Mm. Chapter three of the book is all about rejuvenation. You know, the most single most important thing you could do to be more productive is not find the right app, uh, not make a to-do list and get more done. 
it's good get a good night's sleep yes yes and you know this is this goes across all types so i'm going to talk just i'm really glad you said this because i was just talking yesterday with someone about it so i have five questions uh now i don't have you know, yeah, I'm, I'm a therapist, but I don't I don't see clients individually anymore. You know, sometimes I do coaching with you know business leaders or mm-hmm. organizational. And you're leaders. a great coach, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. So, let's say a let's say a CEO of a company calls me. You know, they're I'm in a bad space. It's this like you know, and they yeah. expect they're going to get some like you know, sweeping therapeutic insight. And I go, when was the last time you ate? So good. And they'll say, usually they'll be like, what, don't you want to talk about my childhood? <laughs> no, no, I really don't really want to know about your last child. Oh, no, I want to know when, when you had your last meal. And then, and then they'll, and sometimes they'll go, last night, I said, so it's 11 o'clock in the morning, and you're calling to tell me that you're having problems with X, Y, and Z, and you didn't have breakfast yet. Call me after breakfast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, so true. And literally... Well, and I talk right. about in that chapter about things like exercise and yes. what a mood yep. elevator that can mm. be. And I saw yep. you out running the other huge. day. Right. Um, and, and I just know that that has right. a huge impact on yep. on my mood. I remember one time I was all, what did you call that? Zoomy? The Zoomies. Yeah. So I had yeah. the Zoomies before I was going to speak publicly. I don't know why. I was speaking in front of a bunch of speakers and I was just freaked out about it. And so Gail, I called Gail and I said, honey, you got to walk me through this. You got to talk me down off the ledge. And she said, did you run today? And I said, no. And she said, why don't you go run mm. and then call me back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like totally different state of mind. Right. So regardless of type, here are five things I, I just ask people when they're in, okay. in, in a bad space, right? One, have you eaten? Two, how much water have you drank today? Mm. Have you hydrated? I mean, because literally. Hydration. Did Definitely. you know that in emergency rooms, it's like double digit percentage, people who come in complaining of heart attacks or some other condition, Right. It's dehydration. They wow, literally just give them a that. saline bag. Just give them, they just hydrate them on a gurney and send wow. them out. It's because they haven't had enough water. I mean, Unbelievable. Just, yeah, it's like, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's very significant. This could probably fix our healthcare system. Right. Well, it wouldn't hurt us. <laughs> right. Hey, people, drink some water for crying out loud. Right? You saved us $50 billion. <laughs> but what, you know, have you eaten? Have you, are you, you know, been drinking water today? Uh, the third one is, are, have, you, have you exercised, mm. right? Mm-hmm. The fourth one is um, how much time have you spent in technology? Ah. And the fifth one is, did you get a great night's sleep? Yep. Or what has what your sleep pattern been for the last three mm. nights? Those are the first five things I ask people when they come That's in, in a bad space. That's well, it. I cite one study in the book where if you try to get by on six hours sleep a night for oh, yeah, two yeah. weeks, cognitively, you're going to have the, you're going to be operating at the level of somebody legally drunk. Yeah. Seriously. And, wow. Yeah. That's, wow. Right. Well, and I've been doing that most of my life. So, I mean, seriously. <laughs> no, but I mean, this is like, seriously, people don't realize that those, those are just these five little basic things, right? That's really good. And, and yet, you know, you get two of them wrong. And, you know, on a given day. Start to go you, sideways. Things, well, yeah, and, you, you'll get pulled into the weeds fast, regardless yep. of your type. Yep. Everybody has to figure those five things out. And those correlate with productivity. And mm. people are looking for productivity in all the wrong places. Right. This is why you've got to prioritize your sleep. You've got to prioritize uh, self-care. Mm. You know, I, I spoke at the same conference at, at LeaderCast that you did. Right. Was that a year ago? Was it that long ago? Yeah. Oh. And I, I spoke about uh, self-care as a leadership discipline. Right. You know, if you want to lead well, yep. you got to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. That's really true. All right. So I have done a few... Um, you know, uh, day-long trainings for your folks over at, at Hyatt and Company. 
I've loved it. I love your team. Our our team adores you. Well, you're like legendary. <laughs> when are you going to bring the wizard back? Yeah. <laughs> well, anytime. I'm free. But I I just want to know how has the Enneagram changed your company? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's it's made everybody, uh, first of all, appreciate their own unique wiring. So I think in terms of self-esteem, everybody feels better about who they are. Right. I think it's created empathy for other people to realize that, you know, other people have issues that they struggle with. They have strengths. They have things we can appreciate about them. And I think it, it makes us feel like we're a symphony in a way. Oh, wow. You know, so that, so that uh, it's good that we're not all the same. And, you know, we can call up the oboes when we, you know, need to have a specific sound or the violins or whatever. And so we've got, everybody's very aware of everybody else's numbers. We don't do what you warned us of, which is to weaponize that or use it in a negative way. But it really, I think, helps us appreciate what everybody brings to the table. Mm. And I would say that our culture is we highly value one another Mm. and love working with one another. And I think it's created a, a culture of affirmation that's been very, very healthy. Yeah. So I had a moment yesterday when I was at the Focus Leader Conference that you were doing here in Franklin, and uh, Susie came up to me, and she's your chief of staff. Is that what Susie She's a director of operations. Director of operations. And uh, we just got to talking, and she said, you know, the other day uh, we had sort of a crisis in the office about something. You know, we all have office crises about something at some point. And someone, uh, uh, Megan, I guess, said, well, we need to pull together a group of people who can solve this problem. Yes, I was in the meeting. Oh, were you in the meeting? And she said, she looked around the table and she said, there were three women eights at the table. Yes. And she said, I have never felt more proud. That's so awesome. Isn't that a great story? And they are each amazing women. Yeah. Because they lead with from a position of strength, but also grace. Right. A lot of maturity and, and health. But the thing is, that's, that thrilled me, right, was... She was had a vernacular yes. to recognize mm, so who these women were. Yep. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, this, oh, we have a language to describe this kind of person, and and we know who they are at the table. That's so good. It's like suddenly something that was vague, and you know we yep. have three strong women. Well, what does that mean? I mean, you know what I mean? It's like we were. She said to me. I mean, she got really pumped. And she's like, we had three women eights at the table, and I just have never felt more proud. Well, this is why we want to bring you back. I, I was talking to you about this before we began recording, but we now have probably twice as many people in our company as we had when you came right. back last time. Right. And so what we don't want to do is have anybody feel left out. Oh, of course. Great. We want to have a common language so yes. that everybody kind of owns it together. Yep. Yep. And that's the huge, huge value of, of doing team training and particularly with you. Yeah. Well, this has been fantastic, Mike. This has been like world-class Enneagram three day. <laughs> <laughs> we went to the mastermind. We have the master class. Doctor Three. <laughs> That's right. Well, it's no, been a lot of fun. Well, man, Thank you. You know, we live two blocks from each other, and uh, I tell people all the time. Nobody. I said this actually. I said it. I said it yesterday to to Gail, your wife, and I, and to somebody else. I said, "Well, I'll tell you what. I've learned more about business and and how to be a four. Hmm. Uh, you know, hmm. in business. I mean." I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing at the scale at what I'm doing it at if it hadn't been for you. Wow. Well, thank you. And, that's and you know what? I think your biggest 
best days are ahead of you. Mm, well, I think your future, if you see, if you could see it, it'd freak you out. <laughs> Which is probably the grace of God that you can't. <laughs> People have said that to me in many different ways over the course of my life. <laughs> I mean it in a good way. Yeah, good. <laughs> because several of them were not projecting good things into my future. <laughs> Well, anyway, my love to you and to Gail. I know you're going away tomorrow to, on vacation at yes. Turks and Caicos. You got it's well deserved. Thank you, thank right? you. You're going with the family. All the kids are going, right? Well, they are, and we're going screen free. Nice. That's great. So we're going to just see what happens. Wow. When we put the computers away and right. actually, how many days? Uh, seven. That's great. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. Good for you. That's great. Well. Everybody, listen up. You need to go get my friend Michael Hyatt's book, Free to Focus, A Total Productivity System to Achieve More by Doing Less. Mike, where do they need to go to a website they need to go to learn more about what you're doing? And just give them all the info. Yeah, so you can buy the book anywhere. Right. But if you go to freetofocusbook.com, you can take your receipt and get some really cool free bonuses. Now, we're doing this to obviously incentivize people to buy the book. Right. But listen to the bonuses. This this is my probably my favorite bonus of all time. Right. There was a uh, four-part video series that Susie, our director of operations, who right. you were talking about, she used to be my executive assistant. So we sat down and recorded four sessions, video sessions, on how to find a world-class executive assistant. Yes. How to onboard them, how to work with them, and then we just did a Q&A of the most frequently asked questions about it. And we've had so many of our clients say, Oh my gosh, if I had had that at the beginning of my career or the beginning of this relationship with an executive assistant, this would have been a game changer. So you get that free just for buying a copy of the book. And this is a virtual assistant or executive assistant? Either one. Either one, okay. Yeah, either one. I mean, today it really doesn't matter. Right. But we talked about both in in those videos. Cool. So again, it's just freetofocusbook.com. All right. Well, everybody... You heard it from the sensei, (laughs) Michael Hyatt, Enneagram 3, and dear, dear friend. And we can't wait until you join us again next week here on the Typology Podcast. Signing off from myself, from my my sidekick, my friend, my handler, (laughs) Anthony Skinner. Hey, great to be here and happy to have you with us, Mike. Thank you, Anthony. Good to meet you, too. Everybody remember the words of the great Oscar Wilde. Be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. (laughs) 